Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Seth Partnow is in the building. Seth and I are going to break down the NBA Finals. We're going to talk at first about how the Lakers and the Heat built these two rosters, how they ended up here. And then we're going to talk about the matchup itself and break it down uh, in as many ways as we can. So, Seth, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. Um, you Turn the speed dial up there. It's like, so anyone listening to this podcast at 1.5 times speed is gonna is gonna struggle with your intro there. That was that was rapid. It just happens, man. Sometimes you got to turn it up real quick. I feel there like I feel like it's tough for me to listen at 1.5 speed anyway because I talk with the same speed as Buddy Healed, which is just immensely quick most of the time. I really have to fight to slow myself down in terms of talking. But, you know, sometimes sometimes it happens. Sometimes it's, it's it doesn't. It's got to come out. Yeah, the 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 takes, they got they got yeah. a fire. They're, 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 yeah, exactly. They're not going to the the, the takes aren't going to heat themselves. That's true, right? Like you got to heat the takes or else nothing is going to happen here. Right. There's no fire. No one's going to listen to this if they're if the takes tried to heat themselves. A hot pocket is just is just cold bread until you throw it in the microwave. I don't love know what that. that means. Love that. I don't know what it means either, <laughs> but I love it regardless. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the Heat, who beat the Boston Celtics in six games, and the Los Angeles Lakers, who beat the Denver Nuggets in five games. We're going to talk at first here about just how they ended up in this situation. Uh, Obviously, two very different situations, two very different styles of team building, but they are connected by one singular thing. They both waded into free agency and signed a superstar. One of them is LeBron James, one of the two best players of all time. The other is Jimmy Butler, a top top 15 player in the NBA, something like that, uh, that totally reshaped... Uh, their culture and their competitiveness in a very real way, while also fitting right within their culture of competitiveness in a very real way. So which one do you want to start with out of those two teams, just to discuss in terms of a team building style? I mean, the Lakers will be quicker. I mean, we're we're the Lakers. LeBron and Anthony Davis wanted to play for us. Done. Now, there's some some degree of of having a bunch of early draft picks that they could – they could uh, throw it at New Orleans for Anthony Davis, but um, that was a situation not unlike what uh, what transpired between OKC and the Clippers when it's like Anthony Davis is like, you are trading me to the Lakers, and, and New Orleans tells the Lakers, give us everything you got, and then that's how the deal gets done. So if, if the Lakers had, had slightly different or or – uh, you know, young players or, or assets or something like that, those would have been the ones that ended up on, on, on the Pelicans. So, um, I, you know, I think it's, it basically comes down to, to, to that. So it does in many ways, the fact that they first signed LeBron Davis and then were able to acquire Anthony Davis, that is 75% of the battle right? Something like that, probably 75% of it. The bottom 25 of it is interesting insofar as the Lakers have done some interesting things around them. Like they could have gone a variety of different directions uh, in terms of filling out the roster. And the one that they decided to do 
I think was the smart one, actually. Instead of going after a third star via trade or cap space or whatever, they signed Danny Green. They retain Contavious Caldwell-Pope. And they kind of build either these bigger guards or bigger wings out. Like having guys like uh, a Danny Green, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who you can close with, uh, Avery Bradley, six foot three, and obviously a def- is a defensive pesty type of player. They keep Kyle Kuzma at six foot eight, who's a wing athlete who obviously struggles defensively, but uh, has gotten a little bit better at that over the course of the years. They draft a Taylor Horton Tucker. Uh, they decide to sign a Markeith Morris who can play the four, J.R. Smith who can play the two, Dion Waiters who can play the two. Uh, obviously sign Jared Dudley in the offseason, you know, one six foot six combo forward. And then they end up hitting on Alex Caruso, who I believe was the team's first ever two-way signing. So the fact that they focused on these guys that are six foot five, six foot four to six foot eight, I think is a really essential part of team building within the modern game in regard to building out a defensive structure before we even get to the center position. Um, I think that, that, I mean, that's related to something we've talked about before with back to the Celtics is having kind of the the physical robustness to kind of compete in, in playoff settings. And I think there's something to that. Um, I, I think that um, maybe goes going a little bit too far towards that being a design. I mean, Avery, Avery Bradley is not a not a physically imposing player. Rajon Rondo is not large. Caruso is is certainly plays bigger than his size because of his athleticism, but he's not a He's 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 a pretty slight uh, uh, build as well. So I think that there is, uh, and and you know they also added uh, Quinn Cook and and um, uh, who hasn't really seen the light of day in a while. But so I think it's more um, beyond like Green and, and Caldwell Pope, who I think are just like are pretty good like complementary wing players just in general. Um, I I think it's it's a little bit of of happenstance that their playable roster in the bubble ended up being as, as hardy as, as it has been. And another aspect of this, I will say like Avery Bradley, even though, you know, obviously not playing in the bubble, he is a guy that is imposing for people around the league. Uh, maybe not physically imposing, but the respect that Avery Bradley has around the league, I think is pretty real. I think you would agree with that, right? Yeah. Um, and, and he is, he, I mean, he's, he is a, uh, certainly, certainly kind of like, as you said, an on ball pesty defender. He's not, uh, like, I, I think what you're sort of implying at with these, the size argument is, is a certain degree of, of switchability and, and ability to match up with and, and kind of bother kind of the, the mid sized wing ball handler types. And I, 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 I don't know if I'd quite go there with him at this stage in his career. No, that, he's definitely I mean, that's, that's minutia rather than than you know the, the the big picture thing. No, he's definitely more of an on-ball pest for guards, yeah. not a yeah. not a big ball handler type of defender. But the other interesting thing that the Lakers did here is they retained JaVale McGee and signed Dwight Howard and play a lot of minutes with two big men. This season, uh, in part because Anthony Davis would prefer to play the four and not get beaten up physically. And in part because 
Frank Vogel's defense is very predicated upon getting elite level rim protection. Uh, the Vogel signing, I think, is very intrinsic to all of this. Uh, signing an elite level defensive coach, in addition to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, was a very interesting strategy, I thought. Uh, and then getting all of the pieces around Frank Vogel, a Avery Bradley, who's a good defender. Caruso, obviously, is a good defender who was there beforehand. Danny Green, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Caldwell-Pope was there beforehand as well. Getting these guys who have a high-level reputation of defensive work, in addition to the centers that we just spoke about, I think that that was kind of a genius stroke in the assumption that you could play the two-man game with LeBron James and Anthony Davis come playoff time and probably figure out how to get offense. Yeah. Um, I the, the other part of it is that um, for various reasons, um, good defensive centers are reasonably easy to come by uh, on yep. on low low dollar contracts. So I think that 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 as much as anything probably led to the the McGee and Howard uh, situation. I think like, again as the league downsizes. There's, there's sort of, there's, there's always going to be, kind of. No, they've got what they've got from that, from that tandem this year is, is I, I think that they, uh, um, I think that they would have to admit if they were telling the truth that they have been more than pleasantly surprised with what they've ended up getting from that sort of two-handed center monster, but, um, but I think that's as much a a roster building constraints of already having spent all the money on LeBron and Anthony Davis as it is like if we had our brother's goal kind of thing. No, I think that's definitely right. And it is interesting and creates kind of an interesting question about is there a right way or a wrong way to build a team now? Because the way that the Lakers built this team. I think the number one thing that you have to do in team building is create multiple avenues with which you can beat teams, right? That have, being able to adjust to what other teams present to you is the number one thing for me in the playoffs. And the Lakers have the ability to stay super big with Anthony Davis and LeBron James next to a true center with Danny Green at the two and whatever they want to do at point guard. Really, they can play Contavious Caldwell Pope at the quote-unquote one and have LeBron handle the ball on offense. Or they can go with a semblance of a small lineup that isn't actually really small, by the way, because Anthony Davis and LeBron James are proper size for their positions. But they can just go small and super skilled while being bigger than you. And that feels like a very imposing combination. And part of it is the advantages you have with Anthony Davis and LeBron James as your centerpieces. But part of it is also just a really intelligent way to go about team building in general. Again, I, uh, I don't want to sound like a hater here, but whatever, um, you know, you got, you, you, you did, you did the hard part and, and the other stuff just kind of sort of tends to fall in place around that. In terms of the options you have, no, I'm just you know the options you have. Hey, they've got LeBron and AD. Sure, I'll go play there for a minimum, like that. The, the, you know, you can, 
sure you, you, can, you can do stuff there that just is not uh, there's a lot of – every year at the finals, there's a lot of discussion about, like, templates for team building. And if, like, the template starts with sign LeBron James, it's not a template. Right. No, so. I, I don't think that the Lakers are a template for anyone going forward. I will say, like, they had more opportunity to do different things than what the typical, like, two super-duper star team has. Like, they had that extra $15 million in free agency last year. That they could have used in a variety of different ways. And at the end of the day, they decided to give it to Danny Green instead of giving it to someone else. And I think that that's a smart move. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you know, you talk about a, a player who has been one of the, you know, it's a little bit of an oxymoron to say an elite role player, but a guy who has been, if there is such a thing as an elite role player, the guy who, is, who has been that for the last seven, eight years. I mean, Danny... Wherever you're starting the list, Danny Green is on it. Yeah. So no, no question. So I agree with you though on the template idea, and I don't think that this team is anywhere near a template for a way to build the team they're playing. Though I think is going to be the one that's discussed as the template going forward. Don't you agree? I mean the the Heat are are a little bit more of a. A more of an idealized standard and like you have you you hit on some young players and and you then you get the it, in in a way it's almost it, it's almost backwards in that they had the had the good young players and then the, the the straw that stirs the drink sort of fell into their lap where i mean it's kind of more often the other way around like you you draft the the centerpiece guy and you realize what you got and then you add the pieces around over the next couple of years as the the main guy sort of fully you know develops into that into that you know franchise level guy um but sure i mean it's and and uh obviously you you know you you, you hit around the margins with with especially you know duncan robinson um it, it's sort of the big one in terms of of uh of playoff relevant i mean we can we can talk about Hendrick Nunn or not um prefer not uh, but I mean, that's you. You find those kind of pieces, and Derek Jones, who can be situationally useful. Sure, that's that's you know, you know, top to bottom in terms of of scouting player development, and then and then creating kind of the environment where a player like a Jimmy Butler, who maybe isn't like the top top superstar, uh, but certainly an excellent All NBA level player, is is uh, interested in coming to join you. I think that's a that's more of a template that at least some teams can can ascribe to. I think it's probably for market reasons. I, I don't think you're going to see the you know the the Hornets or the or the, the Pacers <laughs> trying to replicate that model. Um, so I mean, because you know Miami and also no Florida state income taxes, that's it's an advantage that uh, that that is that is non portable uh, even with with you know, ownership and or management uh, situations. So I totally agree with you that Miami has specific institutional advantages that are solely theirs and not anyone else's having Miami nightlife, having no state income tax and having frankly, Pat Riley, right. And just having people around that don't want to fuck up in front of Pat Riley. 
right? Like, I, I really think that his, that pre- his presence is genuinely still that imposing. Uh, the thing that I think is interesting is that they could have gone a variety of different ways, though, in building that roster. And what they have chosen to do, though, is they have chosen to focus on the wing position almost specifically and defensive versatility almost specifically. You go out and you draft a Bam Adebayo who, when he was drafted, I mean, you would know this well. I believe you saw him in a workout before the draft uh, draft time. Like, didn't get to show as much versatility with Kentucky because that's not what their defense is about necessarily, but did showcase a lot in the pre-draft process that showed he would be able to be a versatile center. Um, I think actually defensively is the place he was able to show his versatility at Kentucky. I mean, I like going back, um, there's some stuff pre-draft. He, he didn't actually grade out as like a, like some mammoth rim protecting defender. Right. Um, because he didn't, he was, he was chasing and trapping and showing and, and rotating all over the floor, which is, so he, the defensive versatility, he did get to show a lot of Kentucky. What he didn't was, uh, kind of the ball handling and passing skills right. that that is is you know um, that's the kind of thing that separates him from you know Jonathan Isaac or something like that well that and health but um, but that ability to be a, an impactful player on on the offensive end that was the that 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 skill level was the part where you got him out of that Kentucky system and they're like oh okay then. Um, you know, the ability to face up, put the ball on the floor, cross over, um, you know, the shot is still a work in progress, but it's, it's not, it's obviously, it's not a broken jump shot. I don't, I don't know if he's ever going to, you know, be a guy who stretches out to much past the free throw line, but he kind of doesn't need to at this point. Um, so yeah, that was the part that, that really his versatility more showed outside of the, the Kentucky environment. I thought. Yeah. And then from there, Derek Jones Jr., super athlete defensively, nailed it in terms of development with them. And this is, this is another inherent advantage institutionally that Miami has. They are, uh, if not the best development team in the NBA, they are certainly in the top two or three. Like maybe Toronto could make a case. But is that, is, is that inherent or is that, is that, I mean, I feel like that's the kind of thing that you can control. Like yeah. you, you can, you can, I mean, part of that is, is having that be an institutional tent pole. And that, that's something that having someone with the, with the, you know, you, you talked about the Pat Riley factor. Um, while Pat Riley specifically is, is intrinsic to Miami, that sort of uh, stability um, that you get from a, you know, a, a Pat Riley or another, another, you know, team that's, that's had it. Obviously, a great developmental track record is is San Antonio with with you know Pop and RC there. Uh, you can develop the the institutional patience and both the the technique and the patience to 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 bring guys through your system. Um, and that's something that um, it's hard to do, but that is something that is in in the team's control to be able to uh, at least attempt that. So that's a part that is, I don't know if I want to say replicable, but it's it's achievable. It's just hard, which is part of why teams maybe don't succeed at it or really try 
to, to duplicate it. So I, I do agree with you that every team should try to do this, right? Like every team should try to be as good as they can be from a developmental standpoint, right? I really don't think other teams really have the ability though. Like the, there are only so many elite level, like, basketball trainers and developers out there uh, that want to work on the team side at the end of the day. And yeah, you can try to do that, but I don't think that you're going to have as much success as what Miami has had uh, by and large. So I do think that at this stage, and plus like you have Eric Spolstra and you have uh, a great set of development coaches and you have like Chris Quinn and you have a great set of G League coaches as well that really just kind of set this team up to end up in a better place developmentally than everyone else. I do understand what you're saying though. Like every team should strive for this. It's more the achievability of it that I question. Well, it's it's hard, you know, right. At the end of the day, this is hard. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard, but it's, but it's also, you know, it's what, what they're like to do the, the non like super team, team build like all the pieces matter and Mm -hmm. so if you're not if you're not all in on you know having organizational alignment around player identification and development what are you doing if you if you don't have coaching coaching staff like the alignment from the whoever the lowest person in the g league to to your head coach and and ultimately your your gm and and president of basketball operations if you don't have that what are you doing so yeah, like other teams haven't achieved this, but like if you're if you're trying to, you know, you're if you're not going the quote super team route, you are swimming uphill because you probably don't have one of those four or five best players in the league. So you got to nail everything else. And that's not something that just happens. So right. like I don't like I yes, I see what you're saying in that it's hard, but okay. If you you're, are 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 you a are, is your team about winning a championship or not? And if the answer is actually yes, this is what they're trying to do. If the chance if the if the answer is well, that sure would be nice. Maybe we'll get lucky. Then they're not, and you're nowhere. So, um, I, I, you know, I don't want to sound like you know Captain Hardass here, but like no, I think you're right. That's, that's the. That's the discipline, you know, to go to go, you know, to go Neil McCauley from Heat. You gotta, you gotta be willing to to walk away from the nonsense and in thirty seconds flat to mangle the quote. Um, that actually so, kind of worked. I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah, you good with that? Anyway, yeah. Um, so that that that's, I agree with you that it takes a long time to establish this and develop it and prove it and have right and how to do it. Well, I guess but, that's my okay. thing. Like, how many, how many owners will give you this time before firing you? Like, Eric Spolstra has the benefit of coaching the LeBron teams and leading them to titles and honestly being one of the two or three best coaches in the NBA, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how many guys are going to get this much time to build this institutional culture that Miami has? I, I just don't think that it works like that anymore, unfortunately. It's just Just because of the way that there is such a short amount of patience for what is developing. No, that's that, that. I mean, that's right. But it's, it's again, you like, you could try to do it, but it's not, it's just yeah. not going to happen. I don't think. 
Well, yeah, it's because there's 30, I mean, there's 29 teams that lose every year. So the odds, the odds, you're starting from a standpoint of the odds being against you. So I just don't, I, you know, I, like, I, I understand your sort of pessimism, but what are we, if we're not trying, what are we doing here? Well, we're definitely trying at the end of the day, like a hundred percent. Are we? This is, you have to, uh, you're a hundred percent right no, but that I, have to, no, but like, yeah. I, I think that teams do try to do this. Every time you hear a new coach getting hired, it's like, oh, we're going to instill a culture. Fucking Chicago tried to do it with Jim Boylan and failed miserably, I think, right? So, but I, I think, so this is, there's, there's a, there, there's a, a, a friend of mine who was a, a, an extremely successful ultimate, a college ultimate Frisbee quote, a coach, uh, uh, laid this sort of dichotomy on me a long time ago and stuck with me. Uh, he was someone who, who, um, when he played sports, he was a better athlete than he was uh, skilled. And so he taught, he liked to talk about the concept of easy hard work and hard hard work. For him, because he was a good athlete and had, you know, had great like lung capacity and stuff like that, he could, he could run repeat, repeat 400s for days in like a, like a, like a track workout. But when it came to work on the like the the fine mechanics of like reconstructing his throwing motion or whatever, that was hard. That was hard for him to do because it was the, you know the the there was stops and starts and difficulties and stuff like that. So it seems like like you know the the, the hard work teams are doing is much more in the oh we're gonna we're gonna you know hire this kind of coach and say we're about culture and and you know get get all these people in and and. Blah, blah, blah. But then when it comes to do the actual hard, hard work of like changing behavior and building systems and, and like fighting through tough times and, and, and being brutally honest about what has and hasn't worked, that's where they fall down. So yeah, they're trying, but are they really, are they really committed to it? That's, that's sort of, that's the question I have. And I think that given what we see with, you know, the, the amount of of sort of just like retread hires we see, right? It's hard to it's hard to see it as that way. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. The retreat hires kind of go to disprove that notion as people really making this effort at the end of the day, and I think that that is that has got to be frustrating uh, for people who work in front offices and work for teams that say they're about the right things, but maybe are not, you know, moving forward to just team building in general here and where Miami has thrown their resources. Uh, Tyler Hero, Andre Guadala, Derek Jones, Casey Apollo's pick last year, even though Casey Apollo is not really playing Duncan Robinson, even Solomon Hill's acquisition this year, Jay Crowder, and then, of course, topping it off with Jimmy Butler in free agency. That's eight wings that this team has gone out of its way to acquire over the course of the last mostly two off-seasons, right? Like two, three off-seasons maybe. I think that that is what is exceptionally impressive is that they have – seen this coming from a defensive standpoint in terms of building a versatile athletic defense is the, I think the best way to have a versatile defensive identity and to have a hard nosed defensive identity that can win games when you are not necessarily the most talented team. 
I'm really impressed with how they've allocated their resources over the course of the last few years. And I think that that might be the thing that most teams try to emulate going forward. I mean, you look at the impending free agents this summer and uh, find, find me the wings. And so There's that that one on this team, baby. Yeah, the the Heat. I mean, Jay Crowder is 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 you know an impending free agent. But oh, by the way, that wasn't even the one I was talking about. <laughs> oh, who are you talking about? Derek Jones Jr. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Is he a wing? Is he a four? I don't know. He's. I mean, he's obviously a, a multi-positional, versatile. But there, but the point is, is there's not there's there's not a lot. You know, you get you get to. Jay Crowder's, there's, you know, your Etwan Moore's. There's not a lot of like two way competitive wings there because they've been, they're so highly valued because right. this sort of versatility is something that everyone's realizing you need. And so investing a lot of, of your, of, of your kind of eggs in that basket. Um, yeah, not all of them are going to be great. I'm not, I, I wasn't a big fan of Katie Akpal in the draft last year. Uh, and there's been very little he's done since, but okay, uh, y- you missed that one. You're gonna miss. You're gonna miss a lot anyway. So giving yourself lots of chances, and so adding Iggy and Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill at the deadline. Okay, Solomon Hill hasn't been hasn't hasn't given them anything, but the other two have. Uh, it didn't, it could have been possible that Iggy was completely washed, and Solomon Hill had been. You know, called upon to do stuff. Now, if that had happened, would they be in the finals? Probably not. But you know, you pays your money and you takes your chances. So I think that that's a, a a smart, you know, use of 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 sort of your volume of attempts to try to get at those those hard to find kind of mid sized guys. So. You know, you kind of mentioned that you don't think there are a ton of those guys out there. I, I think that this is where we see guys like Jeremy Grant. Um, uh, you know, like Jay Crowder, I think probably gets paid. Uh, Yvonne Fournier and Joe Harris are shooters who fit the mold of being able to like really knock down shots in a, if you put them in like a Duncan Robinson type of role could end up being super, super high leverage players for a situation like Miami. Uh, Look at someone uh, like a Josh Jackson as a reclamation project or a Rondé Hollis Jefferson in the right situation. Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope is a free agent this summer, if I remember correctly. Like Justin Holiday is another free. I think that that's where you start to see guys uh, potentially getting overpaid, even though they've shown something in the past, but maybe not enough in the past. You know what I mean? Like a Mo Harkless, I think could end up getting some real money in the hopes that he's the next guy who turns into the Jay Crowder of being an inconsistent shooter with defensive versatility, who can be a very useful role player on a darn near title team. I think the big difference is, is uh, even though he's, he hasn't always been a great shooter. Jay Crowder has always been an exceptionally willing shooter. Um, and I think that's, you know, D. Crowder can, can hit five and a half because he'll take ten and a half. Right. Um, that's not something that Mo Harkless would ever do. And I think that's a that's um, one of those things we talk about spacing is is not just the percentage. It's the, it's willingness. the willingness to launch. Yeah. Um, but is so, that but yeah, instillable, the, though, I guess would be my – like, I think that that's probably instillable in some way. Just go – you are here to shoot threes. You have to shoot them when they're open. I, 
my my general sense is uh, guys who make the NBA are not lacking in confidence in what they can do. So if they're not, you know, bombs away shooters from three, it's because they don't think they're bombs away shooters from three. And you can probably like push against that some, but I think there's probably a a reasonably hard upper limit in terms of how far you can you can push that once a guy has has gotten sort of established in his career. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Um, is there anything else you want to bring up from a team building perspective here uh, before we take a quick little commercial break? No, I think that that there's 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 a lot of sort of this isn't and this isn't um, again this is this is at risk of sounding like you know haterade or something like that, but we can't. You know, Miami didn't do everything right. You don't need to look that far back to to see them hand out a bunch of like of reckless bordering on bad, bordering on terrible contracts to their own guys, you know, a couple off seasons ago. Now, there's a there's a lot of money out there, but still, like you you look at, at a lot of the dead money floating around the league and it's, you know, Deion Waiters and James Johnson and Tyler Johnson and and you know, that's that that's where those where are Miami deals. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, uh, it's on white side, you know, so, um, the mistakes were made, but they were able to pivot and recover from them. And in some ways that's, that's almost, uh, more impressive, but, but still it should be, uh, it, it, it the danger is, is saying, oh, they did everything perfect. They never screwed up. Look how like, no, they made mistakes. Um, which is, I guess the point of of why you need kind of of this organizational all in is because you're gonna make mistakes, uh, but you need those things around the margins to help you recover. Um, being able to have Duncan Robinson on a on a minimum undrafted minimum contract is uh, useful when you've accidentally signed uh, <laughs> way too much money for some 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 mediocre players. So. Uh, but and so you have to you, you give yourself the chance to to um, either buy or wait your way out of of some mistakes if you have those extra extra pieces around that that can fill in when the guys you thought were going to be good for you turn out to not be worth the money. Let's take a quick commercial break and then we're going to get to some big news that randomly just broke as we were podcasting. All right, before we get back to Seth part now, I just have a quick few advertisements. The first one here is from DraftKings. We started with 22 teams heading down to Orlando. Now we are down to the final two. That's right. Basketball's final two teams are set to square off to see who will be crowned basketball's champion. And there's no better place to get in on all of the action then with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. To celebrate basketball's championship, DraftKings will have millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs all week long, so you can get in on all of the action now. I am an enormous DraftKings fan. I play it every single week with the NFL. I took a beating yesterday, and I still loved it. Uh, if you haven't tried it yet with fantasy basketball, I'm also a fan of that product. It's easy to play. 
Just pick six players, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for three-pointers, rebounds, assists, whatever a player does. Uh, you're going to get box score points for it, basically. There's no better way to put your basketball knowledge to the test than to compete for a spot at shot at millions of dollars. With millions of dollars up for grabs this week, there is no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. Download that DraftKings app right now. Stop what you're doing. Download the DraftKings app now. Use that promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars. That money is up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code RUN, R-U-N, to get a free shot at millions of dollars with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And while you're at DraftKings and while you're watching the game this weekend and over the course of this week, the best thing that you can do is to stop, hang on for a second, chill, and have a Coors Light. If you're like me right now, I'm in the process of moving and it's miserable. If you ever feel like, though, that you just need to stop and hang out for a second and Take your mind off of things. There's no better way to hit the reset button than with a Coors Light. It's literally made to chill. That's the whole purpose of the beer. Coors Light wants you to know that no matter what sport is on this fall, Saturdays are your time to chill. Even if your team isn't playing this year, there are still plenty of teams and sports on TV. They can give you the excuse to chill and drink a beer watching football, watching basketball. It's therapeutic to fans. It's certainly been therapeutic to me while I'm in this process of moving. It's time for you to just get an excuse to chill, drink a beer. There's nothing better than being able to sit down and having a Coors Light. It's the official beer of watching any sport, any time for any team just to drink beer. Coors Light is the one that I choose when I need to unwind. And boy, have I needed that a few times over the course of the last couple of weeks. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. That's Coors Light. Get it in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. You got to celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. That's Coors Light. Now, one more final ad before we get back to Seth. All right, and we're back here and Seth Part now. I don't know if you have looked at Twitter since uh, we've been on the call here. I literally just picked up my phone. (laughs) Doc Rivers is out in uh, Los Angeles. That is a stunner. That is definitely a stunner to me. Wow. So it was, it was funny. Like you go through my text messages to some people and I was, I kind of like was making the case. Is there a chance that doc would go right? And my reasoning was, I didn't think that they would get rid of Kawhi or Paul George and any other move that you make probably does not resonate in a big enough way as a shocker for this roster. So I, I was told, no, no way. You can't, you're not, they're not going to do that. No. 
Um, not from people like within the organization, but from people around basketball and look at where we're at. We're at a point where talk rivers is now out in Los Angeles. Huh? Well then, um, it takes a lot to get you totally speechless. I mean, I'm so, so on some level, good for them. Uh, not necessarily Doc deserved, didn't deserve, what have you, but the ability to be in a pretty good spot and then say, you know what, this isn't good enough. We're going to try to do something else. I think this gets back to exactly what I was talking about with Miami earlier. And I, I, I happen to think that the Clippers are one of the best run organizations in the league right now. And so it's... Uh, I'm surprised, but not shocked, I guess, is, is, is what I'll say. Um, so I'm, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm wondering, like just completely freeform speculating. I'm wondering if, if they're, they kind of, if something that goosed them saying that, uh, um, all right, Ty Lue was our coach in waiting. Ty Lue has seven job offers on the table right now. We think Tyloo might be better than Doc. Let's do it. I'll be interested to see if that's the route they go. I agree with you that the Clippers are very well run. I don't really doubt this front office in any way. I mean, this this front office has more brain power than just about any other front office in the league. And then another big part of this is obviously the backing of Steve Ballmer, where Ballmer a is smart and willing to take risks and B has enough money to eat whatever is left on Doc Rivers contract. I think is a big part of this. A lot of teams just don't have that money at the end of the day. For yeah, for no, for sure. That, I mean, that obviously um, it, it does help to be able to, to, to eat a contract uh, in, in, in that situation. But, you know, I, I wouldn't say, by the way, I wouldn't say this is un- unprecedented. Um, I think that that uh, you don't have to look that far back to see a a pretty good coach who had just won Coach of the Year get fired and a team upgrade and then win a championship. Now things happen, obviously. Like you can't just say, "Well, the Raptors," you know, because because they 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 replaced Dwayne Casey with with uh, Nick Nurse, they won a champ. I mean, getting Kawhi helps also, but um, the, I, I think the funny thing is that that's not the one that came to mind for me. It was. Mark Jackson losing his job for Steve Kerr. Yeah, um, I think that I, I, I don't know. I, that that one felt like f- that felt far less surprising um, than this does, um, because that, like that those Warriors teams were so obviously misutilizing their talent. And like you want to talk about um, the the Clippers, okay? The the devotion to to Montrezl Harrell was was you know. And and the sort of the, the reticence to to employ Vita uh, Zubats, um, okay, that's that's a little bit of one, but that's that, that that is not the on the same level as hey, we have like plus passers at four positions. Let's never pass <laughs> in the way that the that the pre Kerr Warriors offense was. Um, so yeah, I mean, wow. I will say that. I don't think this team got as much out of its talent level as it should have. Just straight up. 
Uh, I, I think that they were relatively misused throughout the year. Uh, I talked with Jovan Bua about everything I didn't like. I didn't like the devotion to playing drop coverage defensively. I did not like uh, continuing to play Montrez Harrell, as you said. I did not like not playing their best defenders in one lineup as Denver just continued to eviscerate them on offense. Uh, I thought there were some genuine mistakes made here. And it doesn't bother me. You have to, you have to also, I mean, Denver was a, a visibly better conditioned team than they were as well. And doc is somewhat known for not having a lot of practices. So, um, you know, it's, it's, Hey, if, if the league is going in a place where, especially as you get deeper in a playoff run, this becomes a, this becomes an important thing and we're getting tired at the end of every game. Um, that's also a problem, especially, I mean, especially for a team that's, that's as deep as the, the Clippers certainly seemed like they were like, there's not, not a, there, there were, there are a lot more hands on knees than you might have wanted to see. Um, so, um, yeah. Wow. I'll, I'll say, wow. A few more times. <laughs> The, the Doc Rivers thing as a coach uh, obviously won the title back in 2008. And I don't want to, like, completely destroy Doc here. Having said that, <laughs> um, yeah. the, the 3-1 loss to the Nuggets this year. The loss to the Jazz in 2017. The loss to Houston. The loss in the first round to Portland. I mean, I'm just saying that, like, I don't really got a problem with this. Like, I- <laughs> uh, some, some of the, some of those is you're allowed, you're around long enough. There's going to be some blemishes. D- d- some, this many. Uh, you know, I mean, but then you start to get into some of them. I mean, like the, like the the like the you, Rockets loss was, you know, you, like that that one specifically is a massive. Like, oh yes, he got knocked out of the playoffs because Corey Brewer and Josh Smith turned into the Splash Brothers for a quarter and a half. Okay, <laughs> um, I you know, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's it's way like, more to it than that, man. Like, no, there, there, no, there is, there is, there is. But um, that, that was a bad. Uh, that series also, like, was a bad loss. But I mean, you also remember Chris Paul like had a had a bum hammy that that that's, that series, and and Blake Griffin bro- broke down because he basically had to play point guard for you know the the first bit of that series. So again, it's not not excuse not excuse making, but that's that a, a loss that looks worse on paper than it was in actual it doesn't make it doesn't make it a, a quote good loss but it's not like the disaster that if you just kind of look at some top level stuff i mean look i i was there in chicago for the combine as that josh smith game was happening we were all sitting by the tv wondering what the fuck is he doing <laughs> At the time, like I, I remember, yeah. like sitting there uh, next to I won't say who, but like I remember sitting there and we were all just like in shock, first and foremost, of Josh Smith, and then we were like, "What is like, what is Doc going to do to adjust to this?" And then nothing happened. 
Like, come on. I mean, yeah. it's the, the team, a team with Chris Paul, uh, DeAndre Jordan, and Blake Griffin, and JJ Redick. Like, you can't lose all of the playoff series they lost at the end of the day. Like, you just absolutely unequivocally can't. And I get that that's a reduction, but it, it's tough for me to get past that. I think it's just really, really hard for me to get past all of them in sequential order at the end of the day. No, that's fair. Um, I, but I would also say that I think that this is something we've talked about on, on, on Nerder um, a few times is I think that because of, of the, the, the change in how the NBA game is played and it's a much more kind of – flowing uh experimental game than it was even five years ago i also think that that we are finding that that a lot of these coaches that in a previous strategic era era were pretty good coaches are maybe not flexible enough and it's not like you know the the older generation becoming inflexible and replaced by a new generation with new ideas. That's like that's a story as old as time itself, and and isn't in any way limited to to basketball or sports. Um, so that I mean, there's there's some of that going on. So I don't. It's not you know. It, it, I don't think we need to be in a situation of saying, oh, Doc Rivers was a bad coach. Um, it, you know, Doc Doc Rivers. Uh, it's possible to say had had has. You know, gone past his his kind of useful life as an NBA head coach because of some of those changes and and the things that he are, that he is good at are maybe less valuable than they were a few years ago. I, I don't I don't think that's a you know that we we see we see that with players where the game moves away from them. Like, yeah, is there any reason to think it can't happen with coaches? Yeah, and I'm I'm not saying the doc was a bad coach. Even I totally agree with you. But sometimes, sometimes you even just need a change in a locker room or change in a organization. At the end of the day, yeah. Like yeah. having said that, the guy that I want to get this job most is Mike D'Antoni. You put Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in a Mike D'Antoni scheme. That just seems like a really fun thing that both of them would absolutely hate. <laughs> Oh, the, 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 how many minutes am I playing? Says Kawhi. <laughs> um, they're like, I saw, I see that Jeff Goodman here tweeted, would not be surprised if Jeff Van Gundy is coaching the Clippers next year. Another example of coaching, uh, Kawhi would be pretty funny. Yeah. Um, I would be surprised by that. I, I don't know. I, I have no insight yeah. into yeah. Uh, Jeff. Van I, I have no. I have no. In, I have no insight either. It's just I'm like I don't know. You can't. You also can't ignore the fact that Ty Lue is like the most sought after coach seemingly right now on the market, yeah. Yeah. and is currently on their bench. Wait, I wonder if they just honestly, do that. You know. You know who. You know who would be a really interesting coach for that team is the other Van Gundy. Like I think. I think Stan with that team would be really interesting. That'd be great. I honestly would genuinely love that. If only uh, for the slight disappointment of no longer having him on broadcast. Right. Yeah. So anyway, we like we're, we're, we are not here to uh, to fill the Clippers uh, head coaching the, the suddenly vacant head Clippers head coaching job. 
We're not. We're here to preview the NBA Finals, and we've gone 50 minutes without previewing the NBA Finals, so let's do that. Uh, <laughs> Take that, Lakers, says, say the Clippers. Yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> Lakers make the finals, and then the Clippers fire Doc Rivers to try and get the news cycle back. Hot take. Conspiracy theory. Let's do it. Um, Control the narrative. <laughs> let's I – guess, I guess that, like, where do you want to start with the finals preview? Like, what do you think is the most important matchup in this finals? Um. Oh, man. Um, probably Bam and AD. I think I agree with you. I think if Bam plays him mostly to a draw, the Heat have a chance if AD goes for 30 every night. Uh, they have no shot. I agree. I do totally agree with that. Now, the interesting part to me is that Miami has a lot of bodies to throw at LeBron. Like, it wouldn't stun me to see them dust off Derek Jones for longer spurts in this playoffs, if only because Derek Jones is super athletic and can potentially be pesty on, like, exchanges. I would imagine that we're going to see a ton of the Miami zone. And watching LeBron try to dissect that Miami zone is going to be pretty fascinating because I mentioned this on the last or on a podcast that I've already recorded for Wednesday with Matt Penny, but it's a very different zone than anything we've seen. Like a lot of people on social media. And even a lot of people like that I've talked to who know basketball well and are basketball coaches and executives, they've kind of gone to me and said, like, why isn't Boston trying to foster ball movement, get the ball into the middle of the zone and create from there? Like, get the ball to the free throw line, get it to the nail, and then try and go inside out. Man, Miami makes it hard to do that. Like, Miami the whole thing is almost like predicated upon using length and athleticism out top of the zone in order to stop that from happening. That's what makes this so much more difficult than what I think the simple answer is for trying to quote unquote, just solve the zone. Um, I sort of think that, that what we're going to see the first ever, <laughs> the first ever point man of a zone, like, crab dribbled into the basket a a time or two in this series. I mean, I think that's the thing that Boston didn't do enough of, especially early in the series was actually make those guys guard. Um, There's a lot of, Oh, they're there. We better throw the ball around the perimeter and do something else. Um, That's sort of, sort of conceding the effectiveness of the zone. And I think that to some degree, LeBron is not going to have that. I mean, you can, he's going to back down and force the second to come to him and bend the zone out of, out of, uh, out of alignment that way. So I think that's, that's the first thing we're going to see. But it's a really great strategy for them to go down the road with this zone, I think, because Los Angeles' shooters have not been very consistent is maybe the way to put it. They have not been 
consistently reliable knocking down shots from distance, or at least they're role player shooters. I should say, I should specify. They that. were, they were pre. I mean, that's that. I mean, for a five game series, the, the the Western Conference Finals was actually a pretty close series, and that's the difference. Is like the Los Angeles perimeter guys like made a bunch of jump shots, and the Denver guys did not. And I'm right, but like jump shots. But like five game samples versus like right, right, right. full playoff samples, right? Right. Like right. We, Seth, you're you're the sma- you're the sample size guy. Come on. Yeah, I don't. But I do. But like, <laughs> LA has like they have enough guys who are who are like I don't think I don't think Miami would be super happy living with a steady diet of you know catch and shoot open threes from Danny Green and Contavious Caldwell Pope. I don't think that yeah. they would come out of out of that game saying well. You know, we 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 guarded well. They just made shots. I don't think that's that's what they'd end up saying after that game. If, if no. those guys like end up going like you know seven of eighteen from three or something like that. No, but the thing that that zone does do is if it's Rajon Rondo or Alex Caruso, or if they decide to um, play two bigs, which we should talk about that. Um, that zone does a particularly good job of forcing the guys that Miami wants to shoot the ball to actually shoot the ball. I think that that was a big problem with Boston was that Boston oftentimes ended up getting pretty clean looks, but it was from guys like Marcus Smart or hobbled Gordon Hayward or, um, you know, Grant Williams or Brad Wanamaker instead of their best players. So the funny thing is Boston didn't actually get that many super clean looks. I was, I've been going through this today and I've just been looking this up because I, I'm writing something on, something on it today. Is uh, 76 give or take of Boston's three point attempts were contested in the Eastern Conference Finals? That is the highest single series uh, proportion of three attempts that have been contested for a single team uh, since the 24 in, in the seven postseason. So I think that that. Uh, Part of it was, yeah, there was some guys talking for Boston, but also guys they were at least semi-contested rather than than getting, um, you know, super clean looks. So I think that's that's a lot of what the zone did because Boston didn't really, for a lot of times, they didn't really penetrate it very much, and when they did penetrate, they got all the way to the rim. Um, so a lot of a lot of their jumpers were just kind of swing, swing. Yeah, I'm kind yeah. of sort of open. Let me jack this up. Yeah. No, that's actually true. That's a fair point on that. And I'll be interested to see how the Lakers decide in order to get the ball into the middle of the paint or get the ball inside. Do they just use Anthony Davis's length? Do they use uh, LeBron James, you know, on the baseline almost as like a cutter and then decision maker once defenders collapse? Like they're, do they try and like screen the, bottom guy in the zone in order to try and get lobs or to try and get interior passes. Like there, there are going to be some really interesting strategies that I think that the Lakers try to employ. And I would be fascinated to hear what your theory is on how they'll go about that. Again, I think, I mean, I think it's going to be the, the Lakers are going to go much more to attack the guys at the top of the zone, whether it's LeBron backing down, them running some ball screening action, something. Um, again, that was a really weird thing about it, is it took us until game five, I think, to to do to run a pick and roll against the 
against the top guy in the zone. And there's no reason you can't do that. Um, and I think that I think that you know with uh, you know the Lakers have with LeBron on the ball, they have a number of different guys they can they can use in either pick and rolls or pick and pops to kind of the the Miami defense in in, in a little bit weird a, a weird spot. So I think we're going to see I think we're going to see plenty of that. I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of 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 surveying and probing passes around the perimeter and. Uh, uh, hoping you can flash a guy to the free throw line occasionally, type stuff. I think they're going to try to they're going to try to attack it off the ball. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just saw on Twitter Chris Mannix said that the Clippers should call Phil Jackson, <laughs> and Jason Concepcion tweets Phil Jackson coached the Clippers via Zoom challenge. <laughs> Oh my God! Phil Jackson coaching the Clippers via Zoom would be amazing. Please let that happen. Do you I mean? Do you think about what you say before you? Anyway. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? What about what about the last ten years of Phil Jackson's life makes you think that's a good idea? Oh my God! Phil Jackson, who we last saw like trying to push Porzingis out of New York. Um, oh. Oh man, uh, I love it! I love it so much. Um, Can you imagine? Do you imagine the glee that LeBron would take dunking all over the Clippers every single time if Phil Jackson was coaching them? Oh, an incredible amount! It'd be amazing. Please yeah. do it for the for the content. Please give us Phil Jackson Clippers coach. Um, there's no way I can't imagine that happening. Um, no. The. I guess we should talk about the other side of the floor just because Miami generating offense in this series is going to be fascinating to me. I think it's going to involve a lot of pull-up jump shots from three because I don't know that they're going to be able to get consistent penetration. And when they do get consistent penetration, the Lakers do have much, much, much better rim protection than any team that Miami has faced. Uh, at least in the Eastern conference finals, they certainly, uh, or in the ballpark in terms of rim protection to the Milwaukee Bucks in the playoffs, at least. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of – I think the Lakers actually present kind of some similar defensive stuff as did the Bucks. So I think we're going to see a lot of lot of kind of dribble handoffy type stuff. Um, and maybe that leads to like pull-up jump shots, whatever. But you got to remember that the that the Heat were the 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 uh, the – the kind of the best or among the best contested three point shooting teams in the league this year. So yeah, they might shoot a lot of, of, of kind of pull up jumpers or kind of, uh, you know, off, off of movement, sprinting off a DHO kind of, kind of no dribble pull ups, if you will. But like Miami shot like 37% on those attempts this year. Um, so if you give up, you know that's that, that's a that that's basically a you lose shot. If they if if they if they're able to do that at, at high volume and get kind of Robinson and Hero and to some degree Dragic those those shots with certain sort of impunity. Um, and I don't. Th- th- it's going to be interesting to see if the Lakers are actually able to stay big and defend them. Um, I'm really interested in that as well. I'm, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to because you definitely can't guard bam with javel uh and i i think that 
specifically where Miami would take advantage of JaVale is in all of the crazy screen action that they run yeah. in the two-man game yeah. between Bam and Duncan Robinson. Like that That's just a recipe for disaster. I don't think you can play JaVale really in this series. Dwight is a little bit better at staying attached in those settings, but I don't know, man. I, I don't know if you I, can you do know, that. I think Steve, game six aside, because that was the one the one time really the the stretch of, of game six was the one time where Bam just kind of took the ball and did stuff. That's not his his game. It's not it's not so much guarding Bam, it's guarding the 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 dribble handoff, the pick and roll, the the screen game involving Bam. And that's and so that's usually right. not even containing Bam per se. It's containing the ball handler. Because where he gets a lot of his good stuff is, you know, obviously a, a you know great finisher off off a roll, great lob catcher, stuff like that. Um, but it, but all of that is predicated on, on the, the the ball handler kind of turning the corner up top, uh, either turning the corner up top or like forcing the the the, the guy guarding Bab to fully commit. Um, and that's something that Boston struggled with for a lot of that series. Um, and I think that. Whether it's Dwight or JaVale, you, you put yourself in a situation where either you know, you're giving up a pull-up three, you're giving up Dragic going downhill, or you're overcommitting and, and you know, a pocket pass or a slip or a lob. So um, that's something that Anthony Davis is very well equipped to kind of you know, contain and, and recover, but I don't think the other two so much are. So that's um, – I think that's a lot where you might see those guys – I don't want to say get played off the floor, but at least – put in disadvantageous positions defensively. Yeah, I would expect that we see the Lakers probably go sm- there to their like version of small ball a bit to their, more. Well, their 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 normal size game with LeBron right. at the 4 and AD at the 5 as as basketball was was meant to be played. Right. And <laughs> running like a 4-5 ball screen there where it's probably Jimmy and Bam defending LeBron and AD, A, just like hook that to my veins, please. Yeah. Like that's going to be amazing. The, the NBA Jam 2020 finals. Right. Uh, but B, I actually think that that's an advantage that definitely favors the Lakers. It's just do the Lakers role players, I think, make shots. If they do, I think that they win. If the Lakers role players make shots off of those kickouts that are going to have to be available because you do have to collapse – on that two-man game because, look, even though Jimmy and Bam are two of the 20 best defenders in the NBA at the end of the day, maybe you could say two of the 10 best defenders, it's just such a disadvantageous situation for any team to have to deal with. So as long as the Lakers role players make shots, I think that they're going to win this series. But Miami does a really good job of staying attached and – that could create some issues. Yeah, no, it's uh, and so this this is another interesting factor is that um, at times in the playoffs, LeBron has has well, the f- the fourth quarter becomes very deliberate for the Lakers, uh, in part because I think LeBron is trying to limit the number of possessions because he's thirty five and who wants to run up and down like that. Um, and for the, a team that, you know, I think 
certainly had a, a conditioning advantage on the Celtics in the last round. Um, whether they can kind of do something similar in this round is uh, um, that that'll, that'll be interesting to see where where kind of that late game advantage is because I think that was where the late game is where both of these teams really won the conference finals. Um, yeah, there's a lot of like close games in these in these in the conference finals, but um, you know both the Lakers and and Heat were just better in those spots with I think. Conditioning being uh, being something of a piece of it, especially in the uh, in in the the Eastern Conference Finals. In the West, it was as much about the Nuggets being, <laughs> you know, Jamal Murray and and, and especially kind of um, you know being at the end of his rope from from having to to you know carry that that sort of minute load, that minute and creation responsibility load for every other day for you know what a month and a half straight. Yeah. Do you think that Vogel will smart start big or small? I would imagine big. I don't think he'll start. I think he'll start big. Um, I uh, it'd be interesting whether whether he he goes back to starting McGee or he just sticks with Howard. That'll be the that'll be the more interesting one. Yeah, uh, I don't have I don't have a strong opinion. I don't have a strong opinion either way on on that. Um, Hot take: I think I, I would bet Duncan Robinson's like first half over. For points in this game. <laughs> like, I think that Miami is just going to try and play Dwight off the floor immediately or play JaVale off the floor immediately and just run like dribble handoff after dribble handoff after dribble handoff at one of those two with either Dragic or Duncan Robinson. Yeah, no, I think, I think, I mean, I think that's a way Miami likes to start games anyway. So, right. Yeah. I, I would think that and that's th- what they do, and I, and I think it's it's also something like Robinson's off ball movement and, and ability to get shots off is one of those things that's just that's sort of hard to prepare for until you've actually seen it. Yeah, like up up close and personal. So I think that's the, early in the series. He he might, uh, especially game one, he might he might get some looks where it's like I was there. There, it's like well, you weren't there enough. <laughs> yeah no you got to be there you got to be attached yeah um yeah. is there anything else you want to talk about in this series before we get out of here um I, I, not really um i just i uh i sort of have a little bit of a worry about some of the the heats guys kind of turning into pumpkins a little bit um and that would would rob us of of what we hope is a very competitive final series. Um, I would be disappointed if it became sort of just a, like a pro forma coronation. Um, well, I, I guess that I'll ask you this then, like what is Miami's road to winning in this series? Just straight up. Like if Miami is going to win this series, they do it by X. Uh, like Bam plays AD to a draw and they hit, they hit jump, they hit jumpers and the Lakers don't. Um, I, like I saw, um, you know, I, I I kind of from a from a gaming perspective, I actually think that there is maybe a, even a little value on the on the heat. Um, if you're like I'd I'd seen like stuff in the plus three hundred range, um, doesn't strike me as a terrible price for Miami, but um, it's neither here here nor there. Um, Let's see what is. 
Oh God, no! It's I, I see it at like one seventy five. If you can get three hundred, do that. Really? I totally agree. Wow, but, that, I, I saw I saw open last night at like three forty or something like that. No, I've got it at plus one seventy five. I've got the Lakers in five or in six at plus three hundred. Man, that I, that that feels like that got that that a lot of money came in on the Heat then. If if uh, if it's already goes because you I mean there was you could you could find three hundreds. Well, there there. Were, let's put it this way: I, I did not actually well, on any. DraftKings does have it at Heat plus three hundred. Now that I see, yeah, it. yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. Huh? So I so it, it, it like you know that that sounds like quite the parlay of of Bam playing AD to a draw. I mean, I think that's certainly. That's plausible, and then the Heat are a better shooting team than than the Lakers. So them hitting and the Lakers not is not like outlandish. I mean, obviously the Lakers are favorites, but um, you know, uh, like I think they're closer to two to one than three to one favorites. Um, yeah, barring you know, <laughs> barring LeBron shooting like twenty free throws in any game in, in in games, you know, five through seven of the series. Yeah. Man, plus DK might be getting some of my money here coming up to, <laughs> to place a little. Just a, I, I would take the Lakers to win this series. I think it'll be like a six-game series, maybe five, probably six, I think. I would take the Lakers in five or six. But 300 is a good price because Miami does have the wing depth. They have the game breaker of that zone just being weird and funky and unlike anything that we've seen really. Uh, and that even the Lakers have seen, like, I kind of think there's a good chance that Miami wins game one because they'll play that zone. LeBron will compute and figure out how to break it. And they'll play big for a larger portion of that game than they will in all likelihood in the rest of the series. Like, I I think I like, might like Miami in game one, but... I definitely like the Lakers in the series is my take. Yeah. And the other thing you have to, I mean, as good as Vogel has, has, has been at times in the playoffs, you do have to say that Miami has the coaching advantage because they have the coaching advantage over, you know, 28 teams. Yeah. So, um, so like, you know, that's the, that's the other thing is if the, if this particular funky version of the zone ends up running out of usefulness, they'll try something else. Yeah, that's a good Trying point. stuff until they find stuff that works. And then when it stops working, they'll move on to the next thing. So, um, yeah. And if the Lakers are to win this series, what will happen? I mean, the Lakers have, have you know, if they win, they will have had the two best players on the floor. And it yeah. doesn't get... I mean, it's, it's, that's pretty simple, <laughs> you know, like the, the sort of the, the like the, 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 the chalk outcome is two best players in the, on the, on the two teams are the two best players and the team with those two best players wins because that's how the playoffs work to be reductive. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Uh, Seth, tell the people what you've got coming up and tell the people where they can find your work. Um, I've, I'm, I'm still been doing, uh, we'll have one if this, if this comes out on Monday, will this come out on Monday? 
this will come out Monday evening slash night. Yeah, so tomorrow morning I will have uh, the latest league look around. Um, it, it's going to be talking a little bit about like the three-point shooting in the playoffs and, and kind of how that has progressed over time. And then uh, Wednesday I'll have a, a numbers to know for the finals and um, uh, we'll continue to cover the finals. Um, we're going to be doing some kind of live watch parties on the the uh, athletic app on the the, the real time features of the athletic app. So uh, join myself and Zach Harper, I believe, for that. Um, and then uh, if I can tease something um, after the finals end, we're going to be unveiling uh, the long awaited, uh, lengthily in progress uh, athletic. Player uh, NBA player tiers um, kind of have put a lot of work in over the last several months in terms of uh, figuring out who is where and why. So um, I don't believe in player rankings necessarily, but I do believe in in player tiers. So um, we're, we're tentatively have that plan for the week. Coward, coward, whatever. <laughs> coward. It's it's. Uh, it's a, it, it is more accurate. If being more accurate is being a coward, fine. I'll balk like a chicken. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I will be back on Wednesday with a podcast with Matt Penny. And then after that, probably not until at the very least Tuesday of next week uh, with the podcast, just because I will be moving. And, you know, there's a lot going on here uh, right now. So... Until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.